when you're an entrepreneur and you're at that phase of like, you have an idea and you want to do something, it doesn't matter. People could have told me that fitness was going to end in six months and I would have been like, I don't care. I want to do this. Like I was, you're, you get so obsessed with what you're building that it's really important to really listen to people who have done it and take their advice as if it was like a documentary of your own life. You know, like really, really listen, refine, and then decide if the risk is worth it. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under the radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Alexandra Bonetti. Alexandra Bonetti is the founder and CEO of Talent Hack and formerly the founder and CEO of Bari Studio. When Alexandra sees a problem, she rolls up her sleeves and builds a solution for it. That's just part of her DNA. A former consultant, warden grad, and exercise fanatic, Alexandra sampled every workout possible during her years traveling as a consultant. Frustrated with the exercise myths and methods that didn't offer her the experience that she craved, she took matters into her own hands and created Bari Studio, an addictive and effective workout method with a cult following. Multiple locations, coveted pop-ups, and an ever-growing digital presence. I was absolutely obsessed with it. Honestly, I used to go two to three times a week in a day, and I miss it every day. But during her eight years growing and operating Bari, Alexandra discovered an industry-wide pain point. The fitness industry lacked a centralized platform and community where fitness professionals, companies, and brands could come together to connect. Driven by her industry insider experience and her entrepreneurial spirit, Alexandra was inspired to create the Talent Hack, a platform where fitness professionals can find jobs, opportunities, connect with brands, network, and grow. So with that, let's get into today's episode with Alexandra Bonetti. All right, so we are here with Alexandra Bonetti, the founder and CEO of Talent Hack. Um, so I've been friends with Alexandra for many years now, and I'm so excited to have her on because she is also Venezuelan. Yes. And I, my first question is, how did you decide to move to the United States? For college. So I grew up in Caracas, and I don't know who, I assume my mom ingrained in me that college here was better (laughs) so I kind of grew up always thinking that I was going to end up here for college and that's what brought me here so was everyone in your friend group also moving here I just feel like I the reason I ask is that I feel like that's just like a big move for anyone like I talked to Beck and she moved from Australia like what like was that the common thing definitely not common but also not uncommon and I went to an American school so I feel like a lot of people um came to Jasper College from my you know Mm -hmm. grade um in every other school in the more in the non-American schools no and everyone mostly people stayed that's obviously changed in the past Mm -hmm. however many years it's been 
Um, there's always almost no one left in Venezuela <laughs> from the people yeah. that I grew up with, but it it wasn't it wasn't uncommon. I it was definitely a change for sure. But I think similar to the way that people like take take a year abroad, I I thought it was temporary. That was my next question. Like, did you ever envision that you would have two boys running a business and living in New York? No. No, I, I, I know because my college essay to get into college <laughs> was about what I was going to do when I went back home. Mm. So I think I always thought I was going to go back. My dad is one of 10 brothers and sisters and one of 38 cousins just on that side of the family. So we were a very big, um, close family. And I thought I would always end up there the same way that I grew up. Yeah. Would you say that in your family that you are one of the ones that have the most like entrepreneurial itch while you were a kid? Like how, how would you describe your childhood in comparison to your cousins and your, your siblings? Like, or are they all little entrepreneurs too? No, actually there aren't, there aren't many entrepreneurs in my family at all. And I, my grandfather on my, my four grandparents weren't. And out of all of my aunts and uncles, um, there's only a few of us, actually. I don't know where I got it from, but it was definitely a part of who I was since I was really little. I mean, when I was nine, I put together my first company, and it was an organization to go bring food and read books to orphans. And then we did something similar in hospitals. Um, when I was 15, I put together like a Hispanic consumer research thing that I was selling to like major corporations in the U.S. What? And then um, in college, I mostly had a great time. But I, I've always had that. Like I was always starting something. So it, I think I was it's always been in my DNA for sure. Was that something that your parents were like positively reinforcing? Like, is that something that they kind of like championed or was that just like you doing it regardless of what a Latin family would think, I guess? No, I think they, they always supported me. And, and later on, I mean, when Mm -hmm. I decided to leave my corporate job, so I, I went to college and then I went into, um, management consulting in, the oil industry. So I did a lot of M&As in mm-hmm. oil and gas. And I left that to open a gym. And my, my parents were super supportive of that. They even helped me out financially. I had half the money. They gave me the other half. So yes, I think, I don't, I don't know if I would have been as, you know, excited or committed without my parents feeling like they were fully behind me. Yeah. It's super important. Yeah. So back to when you were at Warden mm-hmm. um, and you went into consulting, what was it about consulting that kind of drew you in in the beginning, mm-hmm. even knowing that you had like this entrepreneurial itch? Like what was it about that industry that kind of brought you in? Did you know anyone that was doing it? Like how did you even know that that was a career path for you? I think at Penn, I was, I, I was thinking about what to do from, from a point of like how do I like to approach problems. And I really like solving problems and having different projects. Mm-hmm. I get I get bored easily. I just really like challenges and the more I juggle, the more I feel I thrive. Mm-hmm. And so consulting checked all those boxes and honestly, 
I don't know if I would have chosen that if I was somewhere else, but at Wharton, you there's a few career paths that just kind of everyone's going into, and it's consulting and banking. And for me, um, I I didn't love the idea of banking as much as I loved the idea of consulting. So it was, it was just like, which one do I think I would thrive more in? Yeah. And I ended up in consulting, and I think it was the best decision that I could have made because it gave me a really solid corporate floor to stand on you know Mm -hmm. so I learned strategy I learned organization I learned to like prepare decks in a way that I wouldn't have I would have gone straight into startup world and and I think Bari my my gym I wouldn't even call that startup that was like small business what I'm doing now is startup so that laid really strong foundations I think for me to just go out go out and do other things and and it had a, a very solid feedback loop because it was such a large mm-hmm. corporation so so that was also really helpful because getting quick feedback allows you to grow a lot mm-hmm. and giving feedback I think is one of the most important things that you can develop as a manager definitely as an entrepreneur so so it it, it actually I, and I loved it I loved my job it was fun so how long were you doing that for almost five years and at what point were you starting to think about doing something else and I know that you kind of had like a burnout moment mm-hmm. um how far into it did you start feeling that and how long were you thinking about Bari before you started it not that long I mean from the moment that I decided I that I thought I think I want to do something else the moment I opened Bari it was like a year I started thinking about it kind of to myself and then spoke about it with my parents and they really encouraged me to think about something else and the problem Why? for me I, I think they they saw that I was I didn't have a ton of risk. I didn't have, you know, I wasn't married with kids with mm-hmm. like a ton of bills to pay. I yeah. was fresh out of college, you know, less than five years out of college. Um, and it's easier to, to make mistakes then. And they liked kind of where my mind was at, which was I don't, I don't want to be my boss. I don't want to be my boss's boss. So even though I really like what I'm doing and I could do it for the next 30 years, is that the right choice for me and I really didn't know what I wanted to do it was my mom who asked me you know you're really into working out right now you work out every day and you're really into like what you're eating have you thought about doing something in the wellness space so she planted the seed in my in my mind because I felt very lost I felt like I know what I'm good at which is math you know <laughs> I don't want to be a math persons like what do I do if I have this skill set that I developed in consulting and I decided to leave that and and listen to your mom yeah and listen to my mom so the whole point of this podcast is for people that are at that like blank slate moment Mm -hmm. and that they like literally don't know what to even ask themselves Mm -hmm. to take that first step into something right Mm because like it's so loaded to say work in what you love and you'll never work a day in your life but it's like okay so what if you're so confused and you don't know yourself enough to even ask the right questions yeah and I think we've had this, this obsession with like find your passion. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say that that wellness or fitness even is my passion. Um, I think I really love it. And I never had a thing. You know, I never had like I feel like, you know, Serena plays tennis and I don't know, like Whitney Houston sings, you know, like Mm -hmm. there are just some people that are born to do something. I never had such a small percentage of people that were born with that one thing. I would argue that it is. Yeah. I would argue that most of us are in my boat, which is 
you just you want to enjoy what you do but you don't necessarily have like that thing that you know that you're going to do your whole life so this idea of like search for your passion I think is is almost counterproductive a little bit because even in in the space that I'm in now a VC backed tech startup you're always thinking about the next fundraise the next um, you know, big goal, how many people you're going to acquire and how are you going to exit and how much you're going to exit for. And I think always waiting for that next step takes away from, from the day to day. And so mm-hmm. I think what I've come to realize is I really enjoy my job. I love business. I love solving things. I love taking something from absolutely zero and getting it to 10, and then that 10 to 100, and 100 to 1,000. Like, I really enjoy managing people and figuring out a product. And, you know, I really love all those things. And and so I think you can make me do that with a bunch of different things I love. I think wellness is just what I fell into, you know, over a decade ago, and I've enjoyed it because it's something that I really enjoy. But I think if if I would be cleaning the ocean I would be just as excited every day to solve a problem so as long as you're like embedding those different things that you're that you would say are skill sets of yours that you enjoy doing and whatever vertical that looks like yeah so I think it's more about like what do you enjoy doing not doing it in or you know but what are those skill sets that get you really excited is it is it analyzing is it data is it building and and once you figure that out a little bit layering whatever it is that you sort of like you're gonna love doing that because it's stuff that you really like to do that's really good advice so back to when you were consulting and we're starting to think about bari what was the first step Mm -hmm. that you took aside from talking to your parents Building a model, a business model. What did that look like? That, um, how much is it going to cost to do this? And what do I think I could revenue from this? So is this a sound business idea? And and you come up with a bunch of assumptions, right? Like, I think it's going to cost me this because mm-hmm. I need X material or to hire these people. Um, and then I think I can bring on these many clients or charge this. And then with those are the assumptions that I think you have to go to people who have done it before and ask them, do you think these assumptions are are real? You know, so I'm I'm gonna hire five people for 50k. And then people are gonna be like, no, you know, this person actually costs 120k, this one you could get for 40k. So just like going to people who have done it before, or I think I can, you know, have 10 clients in the first month people who have done it are going to tell you, I actually think you get a hundred or no, actually it's going to take you a year to get to 10, you know? So just making sure that you take these assumptions and go to market with them and see, and see what other people believe them to be and then refine and really listen. Because I think when, when you're an entrepreneur and you're at that phase of like, you have an idea and you want to do something, it doesn't matter. People could have told me, that fitness was going to end in six months and I would have been like, I don't care. I want to do this. Like I was, you're, you get so obsessed with what you're building that it's really important to really listen to people who have done it and take their advice as if it was like a documentary of your own life, you know, like really, really listen, refine and then decide if the risk is worth it. You know, you might, 
you might have a business model that that gives you zero dollars at the end of the day but pays you enough to pay your rent and and it's like your dream job and you're gonna love and you're gonna learn so much from it that that's all you need or you might have a business that, that actually tells you that you're gonna make a hundred million bucks but it's actually not a business that you actually want to do you know so once you have those that business model in front of you just be very real with you is that something that that is exciting. Chances are you're going to be closer to the zero to the hundred million dollars. <laughs> so if you made zero, is that still going to be really exciting for you to like build and develop? So what was the problem you were solving with Bari? So for, for me at the time, I loved working out. I, that's not true. I hated working out, but I was <laughs> you really on this podcast into and it. Lie to me? <laughs> <laughs> I really, I never liked working out my entire life, but, but I was really kind of addicted to it at that yeah. point in my life. It was what gave me, um, headspace, you know, it just made me feel great. And so there was nowhere where I could go get a great, well-rounded workout in a setting that I was excited about. So I could go to at, at that time, it was basically Equinox and SoulCycle, you know, so I could go to the gym and then I could go spin. I could go take a yoga or a Pilates class, but I wanted a yoga, Pilates, cardio, everything in one in the group setting that you, that you got from a group X class. And so it just, there just wasn't anything like that. And I thought... What year was this for context? 2009. Yeah. So athleisure wasn't a word, right? No, it was not. Yeah. Yeah. This is Very different time. Instagram. <laughs> This was back when people still went out and weren't just staying in to drink their green juices. But yes. anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, so that was it. I just felt like there, you know, after I had that conversation with my mom and she started to think about it and I said, that's interesting. Like, let me think about what could I create in this space that doesn't exist that I would want for myself. I loved the idea of a small business, you know, like a brick and mortar business that I would go in the morning, open up and hang out there and, and be with clients and be with people. And so I did it. So what was your favorite part of the whole experience? Of opening or of running? Of running, of running Bari. For like the eight years. Yeah. It was different, I think, in different phases. I, I really love how, how real the fitness or wellness product is like it immediately touches people Mm -hmm. and I think that was very fulfilling for me to see that in front of me but also to have those relationships um I had very strong relationships with 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 people at the beginning because I was there I was opening shop I was teaching all the classes I was everything I mean cleaning you know the toilet and the and the bathroom hang out the flyers like all I was it was just me so I was very close to people as the business grew I was less kind of in touch with people and I was, I really enjoyed how do I compete? You know, when recently in 2017 or 18, when there's as many fitness studios as coffee shops, how do you make yourself different? And I really enjoyed that business challenge. So it, it just, it depended on where we were. Yeah. At what point did you see the health and fitness industry shift? So when you started, you really were like one of the cool kids on the block that there were like four cool studios. It was you, Model Fit. I don't even know what else was was around, SoulCycle. Um, At what point 
in the in the eight years, would you say that you started to really feel that that competition hurt? Not hurt, but like challenge barring. Yeah, I think I don't know what year it was, but I think when Soul Cycle became a really big deal. I think they had like six studios or so, and I can't remember if they just raised a bunch of money or sold part of their business um, to related. Like I can't remember what exactly happened, but it felt like, wow, this business is a jackpot that everyone decided they wanted to get in, get in on it, basically. Mm-hmm. And so that took a minute, you know, it took a few yeah. years, but over a really short amount of time, maybe two years, a lot of studios opened. And with that, ClassPass also um, established itself. And so now you had a lot of supply and a really easy way to get supply for for the consumer. And that's like a straight up demand and supply chart. Mm -hmm. You know, when supply goes up, prices are going to go down. Yeah. That growth spurt of the industry meant that everything changed. What did you do to keep up? I can I can think of a lot of things because at that time, thankfully, we were we were super ingrained in people's lives, mm-hmm. you know. So so for us, it wasn't about going to find customers the way that that a new studio was. That was their challenge. For us, it was how do we keep keep people engaged and then also acquire new customers. And it all went down to our community. We had a really strong community. And so it was a lot of games, challenges, and like, what can we do in studio that's going to get people excited to come in and be here and come in the following day and the following day instead of hopping around. And that really worked. I think throughout our eight years of Bari, community was our answer to almost anything that we did. It just, it was about the people and making sure that, that it was special for them. And it really was honestly like one of the most special studios. You definitely feel something every time that you go in. Yeah. And it made me so sad when you guys close your doors. <laughs> um, so you sold Bari last year Yeah. Um, to Fit House. Mm-hmm. What was that process like and why did you decide to do it? Did mm-hmm. it have to do with the fact that there was so much competition? Like what? Yeah, no. So I, so at some point of my Bari, journey since the very beginning I I saw this need for aggregating fitness professionals for for talent recruiting Mm -hmm. so one of my biggest struggles was always finding people to staff my studios we also managed a lot of private training outside of our studio so the more people that I great people that I could hire the more my business could grow and it was really fine, hard to find those people. So I always had this need for a fitness-specific, um, you know, Indeed or Monster or Craigslist, like that type of business. And no one ever did it. So I put together a beta, mostly for us at Bari, to use it. And it very quickly was taking off. So this is like April of last year. And... I had Bari. I had a full-time job, and now I had this second job. That you were making out of literally a need for you yes. to hire. And out of, like, my living room at night, you know? Yeah. And when that started taking off, I had to decide. Am I – Am I, I can't do both because I just don't have enough time. 
I think I was ready for a new challenge. I think part of owning a small business, I, I always wanted to give more to my staff than I could. And this gave me the opportunity to build something bigger for every professional, which was really exciting to me. Um, like I told you before, I love building stuff from the ground mm -hmm. up. And I just like really wanted to go back really early and build something from zero. And so we partnered with Fit House to keep our method alive and, you know, our staff working with what they knew and loved and our clients with the same method they loved. And I was able to go do this new thing, Taunton Hack. What is like the emotional journey? Like how long did the opportunity present itself to you? Mm -hmm. And then from that point to when you pulled the trigger on saying yes to it, mm -hmm. like what, what was that process like? So it can't be easy after eight years. That's yeah. literally your first baby. Yes. It wasn't easy. I think it was easier because I felt like it was, it was still there, you know? So I think, I think it would have been really hard to actually shut, sh close down, yeah. you know? Because, Too final. Yeah. That would have, and it's, it's something that people, it was part of their, a lot, I mean, thousands of people's lives every day that they really Mine. loved and it was their, yeah, <laughs> it was their happy hour yeah. of their day so taking that away from people I think would have been really hard um but I really loved what I'm doing now you know I was super super excited about this and I felt like I handed it over to a really competent group of people that were going to water my plant you know and so it felt surprisingly calm like right right yes Amazing. I mean, there's no better feeling, I guess, to yeah. be able to exit that way. Yes. Did you start Bari with the intention of eventually exiting or were you really just like so focused in the short term? No, actually, Bar I, I thought I was just going to do Bari forever. And, and I liked that kind of business for me to do forever. Um, I think as we started growing, I realized I actually don't love brick and mortar operations. I had a really hard time um, managing that. And so the thought of opening a hundred of them felt like what I didn't like times a hundred. And that was really scary to me. That's so smart that you thought of it that way. Yeah. So, so at some point I did feel like, okay, if I, if I don't want to grow this, and I love growing things, you know, it's part of like my thesis of things that I like. Yeah. Like, okay, so what, what do I do? And so that's when I decided I'm not going to grow it. I'm just going to keep it, um, you know, relatively small and I'll have a few locations and that's enough, you know, mm -hmm. and I can still grow just revenue and try to diversify and own more, more private trading outside of the studio, you know, that sort of thing where, where we grew the business. But there was there was something missing for sure. At some point, I I just had to decide that that wasn't my best you know role. And I think for an entrepreneur, people say that everything comes in seven year cycles. I think Bari was definitely one of those things where I never stopped loving it, but I I really was itching for a new thing, and I learned so much from it. I, I never took outside investment. So I always bootstrapped it, made so many mistakes, but also 
did a lot of things right. And now, you know, opening my second grown-up business, mm-hmm. it feels it feels like that was like my training wheels. 100%. I mean, it had to happen for so many reasons, but mainly because being in the day-to-day of a small fitness studio, you were able to see that there was a humongous gap and this. that there was just yeah. like a necessity, not just for you, but for absolutely everyone that has anything to do in the fitness world. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that brings me to Talent Hack, which I'm so excited to talk about. Um, so you said that it was in beta for a while while you mm-hmm. were at Bari just from mm-hmm. that need. Mm-hmm. How long were you in beta for? And oh what were, God. what were the first, like the first real steps? Cause I just, growing a marketplace is like, yeah. I think probably one of the harder businesses to start, yeah. especially like for something like this, like what comes first, the chicken yeah. or the egg yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Like how long were you building this? And like, how are you getting the word out? And like, what, what was, what was the beginning phase? Like, I mean, I know you're in beginning phase now, but like, yeah, we still are. Um, I love marketplaces. I re- love that problem because you are kind of building two businesses that depend on each other. And so it's, it's such a different challenge from what I was doing before. Um, we started with Spada around the summer. I hired my team. I hired two people, raised my, my first round of capital. Also the first time that I have ever raised money. And I was nine months pregnant. Did you, oh, I mean, first of all, that's insane. (laughs) Second, um, did you have anyone kind of helping guide that process for you? Or did you just kind of do it with gut instinct and figure out as you go? No, I, I, oh my God, so many people have helped me. So many. I had less help um, then than I do now. There was a lot of reading blog posts and calling people who had done it. And hanging out with other CEOs of early stage companies. Um, thankfully, some of some of the people in my network, like Amanda Freeman, who's the founder of SLT, um, she's an active investor and invested in Talent Hack, but also introduced me to a ton of investors. Once you get that ball rolling, it feels like your universe just like really expands. Mm-hmm. You know, so she introduced me to investors who introduced me to more and then they would introduce me to a portfolio company that they invested in that I should speak to it. And, and your, your world just starts expanding. You just start meeting the right people. Um, but a lot of conversations and, you know, my family also super supportive, different, totally different skill set. You know, yeah. the way that we started Talent Hack was so different than the way we started Bari. Um, so I raised a round, um, hired a few people and worked for about six months with that team solidifying exactly what you said liquidity in the marketplace making Mm -hmm. sure there was enough things on both sides before we said okay we're live and more officially launched in january of this year which means we just took away the beta dot talent (laughs) hack and now it's just the talent hack um, but we have over 1,200 companies posting jobs and tens of thousands of people applying to those jobs. So it's it's really good now. So what would you say is kind of like your why, your active ingredient with Talent Hack? Like what, when you wake up in the morning and you mm-hmm. leave your kids and you leave your husband, like what is it that you're so excited to accomplish that day? Mm-hmm. So again, a big part of it is business. Yeah. I just love it business. I really like challenges. I think in every single meeting when someone says, you know, but the problem is X, I'm like, wow, what a fun problem. Like we have to solve that. 
So I think in, in its like most pure form, I really like figuring things out. That's really exciting to me. Um, specific to Talent Hack, I am obsessed with our community. I think it's it's like the best group of people that I've ever come across. It's I literally who, agree so hard. They like, are everyone is so, so great. Amazing. It's amazing. They live to make other people happy. You know, it doesn't matter if they're physical therapists or trainers, instructors, nutritionists. They live to just make other people's lives better. And I think from working from a place of passion, because that is passion, automatically makes a lot of people confuse, confuse that and give too much for too little. And so I really like being in a position to be able to help people who are giving a lot to make sure that they don't forget that this is their career and they're super valuable and they should, you know, get more for what they do. So Talent Hack in its, in its purest form is a career marketplace for the wellness industry. So we connect people like fitness instructors, for example, to companies looking to hire those people. So it's like a, a, a LinkedIn for the wellness space. And our, on one side, we have businesses who are hosting jobs and that can be a studio, a big box gym, and also a brand. So we have a lot of brands looking for influencers. And on the other side of the marketplace, we have people applying to those gigs. And that's a side, I've always been on the company side, but now that I'm, you know, sitting with the talent side, I just think it's such a phenomenal group of people and they really um, need help. Not in, not in like a martyr kind of way. Like no one's like, oh my God, I need help. They're just really busy doing other things. Like they shouldn't have to be worrying about, um, am I getting paid enough? And how do I, you know, negotiate this contract? Or how do I get health insurance? Or how do I live this like crazy life where I wake up at 5 a.m. and don't get home until 10 p.m.? You know, all those things, mm -hmm. I think. The, the industry needed a third party to come in that wasn't a brand or a person and say, okay, we're going to, let's try to figure this out for yeah. you so you can just do your job. I mean, it definitely feels like there is a need for just an authority figure, yeah. someone that can kind of like teach these people that are all really acting like entrepreneurs yes. to do what they do best. And maybe the entrepreneurial side or the, the financial side or whatever, isn't what comes naturally to them, yeah. but they need someone to kind of hold their hand and, and be that transparent voice of what is right and what is wrong and yeah. what you should demand for and what you shouldn't. Um, have you seen like a huge amount of gratitude from these fitness instructors for having you as a voice? Yeah. Yeah, because you're right. What, what we look to do is is empower them mm -hmm. with whatever tool they need. And we're not there yet. You know, like really, if you go on our platform today, it's a job marketplace. Yeah. And we do get a lot of love letters saying thank you so much for, for being our voice. And part of me sometimes is like, wait, are you really that excited for jobs? But no, it's it's the fact that we are opening conversation, um, getting real about what that life is really like, trying to figure out what are standard operating procedures across the board that can benefit both the studio or company and talent. So it's all of, of the things that right now we're doing on our peripheral mm -hmm. for our community. Again, like my favorite thing to build. 
and that's might, might not necessarily be our core product of jobs and people are super grateful and excited. So with Bari and with Talent Hack, I feel like you've done a really good job of instilling culture in the companies. How would you, or what advice would you give to someone who is looking to instill culture in their, yeah. in their companies? You mean from, companies? from like a staff perspective? Like from both. Company I mean, like culture internally. Bari was obviously a completely different business and it, it was culture from the trainer side, from the yeah. clientele side, everything, but also Talent Hack, you, I don't know how big the team is now, but yeah. definitely not the same as Bari. I, and that's just more on the community side, but like, how do you as the founder yeah. make sure that there's just a culture kind of overall yeah. within both of your companies. I think, first of all, I don't know if I did a great job always. So at Bari, at the beginning when I was physically there a lot, I felt like we had we had a strong culture. Um, the more removed I was from like the physical studios, I felt I felt that slip. Not because I couldn't do a better job, I should have done a better job of, of keeping of keeping a stronger culture. So I think one is that like be present and that's super important no matter how big or small or how many locations you have um I think physically being there you know meeting with with people making sure that you know absolutely everybody is essential and when I did that right it was it so obviously affected everything Mm -hmm. I think being being transparent I struggle with that a lot like how much do employees really need to know? And I think a lot more than we think. I think people rather be in the know and understand what's going on, especially in a startup. I mean, it's six of us. Um, they much rather know what you're working on and towards than not. And so I think being transparent, being empathetic, and just understanding if you if you're hiring the right people then you should trust them to do their job and so being empathetic that people different people have different needs you know and and that might mean like I meditate twice a day and I'm sure that's frustrating for some people that I disappear from my office you know every (laughs) afternoon for half an hour Um, but I want to get into that though yeah so you practice Vedic right yes how did you get into that since bar since I've been in the wellness space meditation has been a word you know, a Mm -hmm. buzzword. And I always wanted to learn it because it just, I felt like that's what every successful person was talking about. And I hated it. I just really couldn't do it. I tried every single app. I downloaded everything. I YouTubed it. I, I mean, everything. No, I remember that you would tell me that your trampoline sessions, you're like, my trampoline is my meditation. meditation. Yeah. 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 And now I realize how ridiculous that is. Um, but I, I just, I, I, am I'm, I'm loud and I'm Latin and my, my, my head is going at a million miles an hour and I can't just sit there and not think. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I felt like. I can't, who can sit there and not think? That sounds crazy. So after trying a lot of times, it just, it never worked. I had a ton of anxiety, ended up in the, in the ER with an anxiety attack. What? Got medicated for anxiety. When? This is 2015. No Summer idea. 2015, I city biked myself to the emergency room here in New York. <laughs> ended up in um, the basement of like a really scary hospital and like the mental facility. Yeah, 
we, in the ER, like in New York, think about it. There were people tied to their chairs, like screaming things. I was like, what am I doing here? But a shock. Like I was, I, I was like, I definitely have a problem. And I, and I don't have rational anxiety. You know, like there's anxiety that you should be anxious about. And there's anxiety that it's like, why am I so anxious about nothing? Yeah. And I had that very irrational anxiety. So anyway, got medicated. Medication helped. Like, thank God that exists. It helped me a lot. And then I got pregnant and stopped my medication cold turkey, which was a good experience in and of itself. But that was hard being nine months pregnant with my anxiety because I felt like I was. Was this with your first baby? Yes. With Joaquin. And then Joaquin was born, and he was a terrible sleeper. I mean, terrible. He was waking <laughs> up like six times a night. It was unbelievable. And so between my anxiety and not sleeping, I was like, I'm going to lose my mind. Like, I'm going to end up in the hospital again, which I do not want. And I was breastfeeding, so I also didn't want to go back on medication. And my sister had just done the Veda course, and she was like, just try it. And I rolled my eyes and I was like, meditation does not work for me, but I like, I'm going to hit rock bottom. So I'm just going to do it. And I took this course three weeks in absolutely no anxiety. Like to this day, I have no, this is three years later. Um, I started sleeping better. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say less because I really wasn't sleeping that much, but I don't need a ton of sleep to feel very rested. A lot more clarity. I mean, and this all happens, you know, it's like saying like you worked out once and you got abs, like it doesn't happen that way. It's a practice that you have to do every single day and, you know, finding the time for it is hard and committing to it is hard and everything about it is, is hard until it's like brushing your teeth. Like you can't live without it. Then it stops being hard and it starts being like your fuel. I mean, my, my like medicine, I, I haven't gotten sick. Like, I, I have not had a cold in over two years. That's so wild. And I have two kids who, like, come home from school sick every single day. You know, it's not... Yeah. I feel like I'm a better boss. I'm definitely a better wife. I'm more pleasant to be around in general. Like, I'm just <laughs> in a better mood all the time. Yeah. Nothing really rattles me. You know, nothing, nothing scares me. Everything just feels like a challenge I can... And, I mean, I, I still have a life. You know, I still have... Things yeah. happen to me, so it's not. It doesn't like shun you from life. Yeah, it just it feels like life is really manageable when you're. I feel meditated. like it gives you space to think and not yeah. react. Yeah, and like just be more present with something yeah. and recognize that it'll pass. Yes, and I I'm at the point now. I've been meditating now, not Vedic, which I, I think I'm getting to the point. But I've been meditating for a over a year now, mm-hmm. ten minutes only, mm-hmm. but. I 100% agree. And the days that I don't, it you can 100% tell that I oh, didn't yeah. meditate. Yeah. Like, I lose my shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, very scary to me that I've actually never been medicated for anxiety, but I had a really bad anxiety stint. And that's what 100% saved me and helped yes. me. And, like, it helps me every single day. But I do think that Vedic is something that you don't have to rely on because I feel a little bit of anxiety when I don't have my phone because I listen to the meditation mm-hmm. on my phone. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that the Vedic, the power in the Vedic thing is that you can do it whenever, wherever, as long as you're by yourself. I think the reason Vedic worked versus other meditation techniques is it's because part of it is thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you you don't clear your mind from thoughts. And so for the first time ever, I felt like I was, I was doing it correctly versus incorrectly. Everything else, I always felt like I'm not doing it right. I'm thinking too much. Yeah. I always felt like I just wasn't doing it correctly. And this one, 
there's no way of not doing it correctly because you just repeat a word in your head for 20 minutes. And at the same time, you're thinking about other things, singing songs, making my to-do list. And I'm like, not only is that okay, but that's just part of the meditation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what made me stick to it for as long as I did. Amazing. Is that something that you're going to instill in the boys? Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to think about because first I didn't grow up in a meditation culture. You know, my none no one in my family, my sisters not meditate, but I grew up with meditation around me. So I don't know how you you teach that to your kids. I think they just kind of see me doing it. You know, they know every morning their dad says, Mom's mm-hmm. meditating, don't go in the room, don't mm-hmm. go in the room. <laughs> Joaquin, do not go in the room right now. Your mom is meditating. So I think they're just gonna grow up seeing me meditate and and I can't wait for them to be curious about it and I can't wait to take them um you know down that journey as much as I can possibly put it in front of them yeah but meditation is itself no one can make you do it you know it's just one of those things that you just have to pick up be committed to and and you're going to do it when you're ready you know for me it took hitting rock bottom to to do it yeah um so I, I hope that they pick it up I'm going to try as hard as I can. Amazing. Um, I'm going to ask one question before the last one. And it's what, what is your view on the health and wellness industry in the next few years? Like, I just, I can't imagine it booming any more than it's already booming. And I think that there's so much with streaming. The influencer space is insane. Like from your view, which you're seeing this every single day from every angle. Mm. What, what do you think is going to happen? I hope it gets more um, democratic. Okay. So I think right now we are in a bubble where we feel it a lot, but I think actually it's like a coastal phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope that everyone gets access to it. And I think part of that's going to be tech. Mm -hmm. So there really are only a few wellness tech enabled companies, you know, most of it are brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think there's that's not going to stop. We're going to have more supply, and that will continue to drive prices to a place you know that makes sense and more people can afford it. Um, I think it's it's going to continue to grow, and its growth is going to continue to outpace a lot of other industries because we are getting sicker and sicker as a country and as a world. And I think the more that the pendulum is is going towards that sick direction, the more we're going to need to figure out preventative lifestyle changes. And I think that's always going to go back to just eating well and moving. And so I think fitness and wellness has the key to build a better planet. And I think the more that we can have more and more people use that, as like a lifestyle thing. And I, I hate the, the buzz of like, it's a lifestyle, it's a lifestyle. Um, but the more that we can just instill it as, you know, you eat real food and you move every day mm-hmm. as, or, you know, as much as you can, the healthier planet we're going to be. And it's, it's pretty soon we're going to be in a place where it's, it's not even a luxury. We just like, we really, we're going to be jolted into reality. Mm-hmm. And it's the wellness space that's going to be able to step in and, and do something that like really sets us up for success. 
So I, I think we're actually just at the beginning. Like New York, That's I think so is very crazy saturated. to think about. Yeah. Do you think that the brick and mortar industry is going to change or not exist? It's definitely going to exist because I think our our need for human connection and community is getting more and more accentuated the more that we take our relationships digital. So I think that's always going to exist. I think we're going to see um, different parts of wellness become brick and mortar. So I think we're going to see a lot more health, um, mental health studios where you go you know, to group therapy sessions. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, even nutrition, I think we're gonna, it's going to be a lot more accessible. So I think brick and mortar is is going to stay, and as the world gets more tech enabled, so will those platforms. So I always close out the podcast asking, "What is your literal active ingredient?" So is it meditation? Is it coffee? Is it matcha? Like, what is no something question. that you can't have that you can't not have every day? It's definitely meditation. Amazing. Where can everyone follow you? Where can people find Talent Hack? Not that you ever post anything on Instagram, but whatever. <laughs> At the Talent Hack is Talent Hack's Instagram. Um, and we are active on Talent Hack. Yeah, they have My a really good Instagram. personal <laughs> is at Yaya Bonetti, and I am not that active. Um, but it is my New Year's resolution every January. So maybe <laughs> January 2020 will be the month I start posting. I cannot wait for 2020 then. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Sophie. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please take a second to rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient.